All right, welcome into episode 46 of the Natural Hat-Trick Podcast. Alongside Jamie Eisner and Craig Morgan, I'm Luke Lipinski, as Craig pointed out repeatedly before we went on the air. Episode 46 makes this the Pat Jablonski episode of the show. How often do you get to say Jablonski? Uh, not, not often enough. Polish names honest. are fun, aren't they? Especially that one, though. <laughs> uh, how are you guys doing today? I've had a fantastic morning. So. A lot better than you. <laughs> okay, all right. Do we want to get into that? Uh, let's just, let's, I want to summarize it in less than 20 seconds so we don't eat up too much podcast time. I don't believe you can do that, but go ahead. Um, cover a baseball team. Your reward is your battery dying in the baseball team's parking garage. And just picture me at 1230 in the morning last night sitting on my hood, typing a story about Timo Meyer into my phone. That's all you need to know. And then getting non-sympathetic emails from Jamie Eisner. And this is what I realized. Jamie's signature on his emails is actually longer than his emails themselves i think he just sends emails just so he can show people his signature i just want people to know okay that's good I want them to know what they're dealing with oh we know i'm staying out of this fray as that's, usual yeah yeah you you and shuffles over yeah. there <laughs> shuffles eisner is going to be his new nickname all right we got a lot of news actually um you know as is tradition on this podcast the second we finish a show and we post it big news breaks uh last week after we did that patrick waugh decided to retire from coaching for now uh, so I know it's a few days old, but this is our first chance to really talk about it. I don't know that anybody really saw this coming. What are your guys' reactions to the fact that Colorado now, four weeks before training camp, doesn't have a coach? Um, well, I wrote about this, actually, so I guess my reaction is out there already. It is. I think you beat Joe Sackett to the punch, personally. <laughs> I, I think this is something that needed to happen for this organization. I think Patrick Waugh is a coach who has failed to embrace analytics in any shape or form. He's an old-school guy. He believes he knows best. He's arrogant. I don't think he belonged behind the bench in Colorado's last two seasons. Underscored that. How's that? Uh, why don't you tell us how you really feel okay. now? Don't, don't sugarcoat maybe, it for the Maybe podcast. Jamie has a lighter opinion well, over there. What really happened? Jamie never has a lighter opinion. That's true. But remember, what really probably happened was they listened to our podcast last Obviously. week where we discussed Patrick Waugh and the Colorado Avalanche and whether or not they were a coach away from being a contender. And they said, you know what? Those three smart, handsome gentlemen knew what they were talking about, and they made the move. You That's think they can tell the handsomeness over the air with they, no they visual? Just, I think it comes through in the yeah, voices. Yeah, they just okay. hear us in the voice. Yeah. What are you all doing out there? <laughs> I, in the, this, by the way, podcasts. this was the tagline that I was trying to sell to Luke earlier, and, and this underscores that point as well. When we were coming up with our Twitter handle, well, we, Luke created the Twitter handle, so I can take any credit for that. In no, fact, he created it in June, and I just found out somehow in August. That says something, doesn't it? But the, I believe that the tagline on our Twitter handle should be, we set the agenda for the NHL, and clearly that's what happened yeah. this week. I, I will say, I'll give you credit, moments after you suggested that, the Patrick Waugh news broke, and we know full well that uh, Jimmy Vesey's going to sign with the team right after we finish recording uh, this episode today. <laughs> Where should we have him sign? Well, no. I think there are differing well, opinions I mean, in this group Craig on that. <laughs> I would prefer not Chicago. Because... Especially with Pittsburgh reportedly in the mix now. Okay, but in, in fairness, just for the good of hockey, he shouldn't go to Pittsburgh or Chicago. Those two teams don't need him. You can make a case that they both need him, but they need him to win another cup. Whereas... Hockey isn't fair, Luke. No, it yeah. isn't. Life so he'll isn't probably go either. to one of them. That's you true. probably should have realized when you're typing a San Jose Shark story in the hood of your car <laughs> in a parking garage in downtown Phoenix. At 1230 in the morning. Yeah. Don't, don't forget that part. Um, so what are they? What are, he's got six current front runners. That number changes every hour. 
At the moment, it is Buffalo, the Rangers, Chicago, New Jersey, Toronto, and Boston. Well, that's sad. I have it memorized. Yes, Philadelphia and Pittsburgh have also been thrown into that mix reports over the last couple days. I, I don't know what to believe on this. There are so many opinions about where he's going. There are so many opinions about his impact as well. There are people who believe he's a top six guy. People believe he's a top nine guy. People who believe, buyer beware, you, he's not going to be as good as everyone thinks. So it's all over the map right now. Well, he's not going to be as good as the hype train has has you know created for him. I mean, he's that's a lot to ask of anybody, let alone a player that has never played an NHL game. And yes, he just won the Hobie Baker, and he went to Harvard, and he had a he great year. He did go to Harvard. He did go to Harvard. I would assume he just wears his sweater tied around his neck when he plays, right? Like he's at a polo club or something. <laughs> I thought you were going to drop the trading places line. No, sorry. Maybe I, a little I too old school. I, I can't think of any off the top he's of my head. He's wearing my Harvard tie like, oh, sure, he went to Harvard. Can we open every show with that, by the way, Jamie? Just isolate that. You might want to replace Dan Aykroyd's voice with mine, okay? Much yeah, better version Just of that. Re- redub the entire movie with Thank Craig's you. voice. Yes. So, I mean, he's. I think he's going to help any of these teams he ends up on. You can make a case for Chicago, and in fact, I will let you do it. But I'm hesitant because if this means he goes to Chicago, I'm going to be very upset because I figure you put him on the first line and it allows some movements. Well, that's the thing. And, and, again, take this with a grain of salt. Yet another report out there saying that Jimmy Vesey's decision could depend on playing time. Hardly earth-shattering when you think about it. Of course, that's going to matter to him. What, what's my role going to be? But when we were dis- dissecting this last week, I thought that the two best places for him were Chicago because you get a chance to play with Jonathan Daves. Yeah, it's not just what, quantity. What could be wrong about that? It's quality of playing right. time. And then Buffalo because it's a young and upcoming team, lots of talent. When you look at some of those other teams, again, and I know we stated this last week, the Rangers, Boston, what direction are they going right now? Can you feel good about their immediate future? I don't, personally. Toronto obviously is in rebuild mode. New Jersey, we talked about that blue line quite a bit. It'd be great if he played so, defense. That would make the most sense yeah, for there him you to go, go to New Jersey. Just move him to the blue line. But some, So those other teams have problems. So from my standpoint, which means absolutely nothing to Jimmy Vesey's camp, Buffalo and Chicago make the most sense. We'll obviously see how it plays out in the next few days. Yeah, I mean, there are three factors in his decision uh, because the money element's going to look virtually the same matter mm-hmm. where he goes. It's location of the team, role he would play on, and what the team's trajectory is going forward. And when you look at, the, again, not knowing you know where he might, why I might like this city over that city, from a pure hockey standpoint, Chicago does make a lot of sense. It makes, you get a chance to say, walk into the league and play with Jonathan Taves on a team that's a cup contender right away, or walk into the league and play with Crosby or Malkin or, or Benino or, and be on a cup contender right away, that, that says a lot. The money's going to come down the line, so it's not a, really a factor here. It's, it's got to be playing time and location. Do you want to play in that city? Yeah, it, I, it, he seems like somebody that, I mean, obviously with the ties to Boston, I think that's the only reason the Bruins are really in the conversation. He's made it pretty clear he wants to play uh, towards the Northeast, which I guess would be the one thing working against Chicago. But Chicago seems, of, of those two cup contenders, Chicago and Pittsburgh really seem to be the two legitimate cup contenders on the list. It seems like Chicago's a lot more likely of those two. So if, if that's his main criteria, we might see him on the Blackhawks. If, if his main criteria really is location, that works against the Blackhawks. I mean, I've heard the Islanders as a, as have at least shown interest. Carolina has shown interest. I think Carolina's right there with Buffalo as a team on the rise. 
I've heard Columbus showed interest, and then I realized, okay, everybody's showing interest. I don't need to listen anymore because Columbus right. is in the mix. That's the thing. Every team in the Eastern Conference, yes. right, when you hear he, he wants to stay close to home, which was which is one of those many threads that's out there. You don't know how true it is. How close to home does he mean? But you, you're right. Actually, Carolina is another team we should have mentioned because I do think they were making a hard push for him as well and selling just that. Hey, we're a team on the rise as well. As far as Columbus, has he said anything about wanting to just block shots and be <laughs> in the coach's doghouse all year? Or is that – he hasn't mentioned that yet. Okay, so we can rule the Blue Jackets out probably? I think you can. Blue Jackets, Edmonton, let's see, Winnipeg. Yeah. Well, Winnipeg's got a lot of good talent. We'll get to them. Okay, so uh, – market consideration. There, yes, but. well, that's true. Um, every Everything on the rundown starts with V. Do we want to go Verbata, Vermette, or Vegas next now that we're done with VC? I'll leave that up to you. If you want to go in alphabetical order, I'll be okay. No, I'm not doing that. Let's go uh, Vegas. Ah, that is alphabetical. All right, so Vegas still doesn't have a team name. Um, Jamie has this newfangled machine that plays audio, and so let's uh, let's hear from Bill Foley on the fact that, Craig, as you pointed out, we're still over a year away, so it doesn't really matter if they have a team name, but Foley is getting a little impatient. The league has made it very clear that it really should not be associated with gambling and so on. It needs to be something a little bit different than that. And, and so we're working our way through it. Uh, I've got my GM. Now I need to get my name. Okay. I don't care what they call the team. I, I would okay. I, so you and I are in agreement here. Well, I would I would sort of I like the aces. I thought I, I could see a nice jersey like that. Maybe just the spades on the shoulder or something. I thought that'd be cool. If that has gambling connotations, then I guess they're not going to do that. But I do care what they name the team if they name it just like another team in the league. Yeah, I'm I'm with you there too. Yeah. You're, you're referring to Nighthawks. Yes, we don't need another Hawks because no. they will shorten it. Everybody will shorten it, but you can't shorten it. So how would you do that? Well, I guess they could shorten it to the Knights, which is probably what he wants. But uh, that's, that doesn't work. But how if, do you get from Nighthawks to Knights? Well, I don't know. First of all, you're missing a K unless you're talking about Vegas Knights. Like Maybe they're the Hawks that are dressed doesn't up with Knights. It doesn't work for me. Yeah, you can't shorten that to Hawks. You can't shorten <laughs> that to Hawks. You could. I don't know. What would you do? You'd have the Hawks versus the Hawks at least, yeah, what, three or four times a year. You know what I think of? You guys have no idea what this reference is. There's an Edward Hopper painting called Nighthawks. It's one of my favorite paintings. That's all I think about I when knew I you were going to talk about Edward That's Hopper a, on the show today. See, we, we're delving into art now. <laughs> I knew this would happen. Nighthawks, though. What, what does that say to you? Does that, that doesn't mean anything to me. It says to me that he wasn't allowed to call his team the Knights or make any gambling Bill references. Foley's obsessive. That's what it is, well, right? I mean, it's, it's, they basically so why, have why not like, make a Nighthawks with a K in front of it? The Knighthawks? Yeah, knight, knight in shining, like Hawks that wear Knights and, uh, that have like the gear for Knights in shining armor. Maybe he could capitalize the K in Hawks. So he could just kind of subtly name his team <laughs> the Knights. Hawks. Yeah, and they'd have a Z at the end instead of an S. <laughs> Hawks. Well, because they, they couldn't call it the Las Vegas. Gambling is bad. Yeah, I guess the Las Vegas Gamblers is probably out, right? I mean, that's, well, I mean we that talked about the, how ridiculous that is yeah, what, two or three episodes ago. They can gamble on your sport now, Gary. Well, you guys hate that more than I do. I mean, I understand why you don't want to call the team the Las Vegas Gamblers, I guess. But the Las Vegas Aces makes a lot of sense. And, and there's a hockey reference there, too, right, with black aces? Yes. And, uh, come on. And the jersey's going to look awesome. I don't, what does what a really Nighthawk look like? It really would. If they name the team the Nighthawks, my only requirement is they copy the Blackhawks jersey exactly, but just change the coloring. <laughs> that would be my requirement for that jersey. All right. Are we done with this thread? Yes, we are. Let's, let's find another V. Does that mean you want to move on, Craig? It really does. Okay. Well, Redim Verbata, back in Arizona. Uh, I'm going to let you run with this one, but I, I like this deal for the Coyotes uh, quite a bit. And I think it was one that uh, – well, I don't know if it was a lot of people, but certainly we were – 
anticipating might happen, and uh, it does this week. Pretty good deal. Yeah, and it, like you said, low, really no risk. When you're talking about a $1 million base salary, he's got incentives for the regular season at least. He gets to 30 games, he gets another 500K. If he gets to 20 goals or 40 points, he gets another 500K. So I think those are attainable for him. So we could be talking about a $2 million deal for Redeem Verbata. And if he's a 20-goal scorer or a 40-point man, well, he's worth that money anyway. So this is really well-structured for the Coyotes. They obviously had a gaping hole on their right wing. At this point, they had Shane Doan under contract, who led the team last year, but still they're expecting a diminished role for him this season. You've got Anthony Duclair, and you've got Ryan White, who we still have to see where he slots into this lineup. They they needed a scorer. I got the sense from general manager John Chaika that there were other things on the table, other things that they were considering, other things that actually fell through. I think they always knew they had redeemed Verbata in their back pocket. They could come back to this because he obviously loves playing here. He was dying to come back here. This is his third time here. When I talked to him, I've been talking to him all summer, actually, and when when I talked to him yesterday, he, he said, you know, his agent, Rich Evans, said that the deal happened quickly, and Verbata laughed and said, yeah, it happened in like five or ten minutes. <laughs> it's, it, you know... We've seen this a lot with this team, and I don't know if it's the organization or the people in the organization or if it's just the area that that certain people love living in Phoenix, but we've seen a lot of players come back uh, numerous times or players come here and play for a few weeks and then retire and they don't leave uh, the Valley area after they retire. But Verbata is, I mean, he's right up there. He's exhibit A in terms of players that want to be here. He's already, this is his third trip uh, to to Phoenix to play (laughs) for the Coyotes. And like you said, he... He very specifically wanted to be here. I think he's still got something left. I know people look and they're like, well, I'll look at his numbers from last year. Well, chances are you didn't watch many Canucks games last year, and that's fine. I totally sympathize with you. In fact, they're I probably commend you. probably better off for it. Yeah. <laughs> yes. But, but the Canucks were they like – They happened in Vancouver as well. <laughs> they were using him as like their goalie last year. Like they weren't yeah. playing him where you would play Reddy and Verbata. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean some, somebody named Craig Morgan wrote an article for today's Slapshot. The country singer? Him. Yeah, okay. country singer Craig Morgan. Okay. The one that we promised you might be on when Craig was – the other Craig was in Oregon or wherever he was. And maybe he was in Europe at that point. Yeah. I think he was probably in Europe you at know, that point. Other, other Craig never tells us he hates us, so that's another point for other Craig. That is true. Uh, but but Verimbada talked about the situation where he kind of knew that, as he called them, Danny and Hank, which is a lot better <laughs> name than just calling them the Sedins. That's not what I called them. Go ahead. But he knew he was not what they have, called them in Chicago. No, he had a pretty good idea that year two last season he was going to have to play with somebody else, and thought it was going to be Nick Benino, and then that was taken out from under him. And kind of read between the lines there. You mm-hmm. can read the, the full yeah. Then it was Bo Horvat, and then it was for a, a time Jared McCann, who was winning. Uh, what was it? What thirty seven, thirty four percent of his draws, which. Again, as I pointed out in that story, faceoffs are overrated in terms of possession, but. It's better to win the draw than to lose it, and, and there are a few people saying, look, Verbata was just back-checking the whole season because his line never had the puck. Dave Tippett even said yesterday, when, when I asked him where he thought he was going to play, you know, Marty Hansel, of course, he had some chemistry with him, and that's a possibility, but Anthony Duclair had some chemistry as well. We'll see how that plays out, but he did acknowledge he's got to play on a line that has possession of the puck. you you gotta, you got to put him in a place where he's in the offensive zone, finding space, and somebody's getting him the puck in the right situations at the right time because he can score. Look, you have to play to your player's strengths. And I understand that, okay, Redding Verbata is, I don't know, he's not Sidney Crosby. No, and he's 35, too, so you you expect some decline there, too. 
But he's shown throughout his career, and, and certainly Coyotes fans saw it uh, you know, firsthand when he had the 35-goal season back in, in 2011-12 when he was playing with Ray Whitney, and Ray Whitney's a playmaker, and he was setting up Redding Verbata, and hey, look, that worked. So if I run the Vancouver Canucks, or if I'm coaching the Canucks, instead of punishing him for not being the perfect player in the league and sticking him on the third or fourth line, why wouldn't you just play to his strengths? Because Hank and Dan are pretty decent playmakers. I, I, I got the sense, too, that, that Hank and Danny wanted a different wing, which is weird. Maybe maybe there was some chemistry issue with them. Maybe you cater to those egos, but... But two years you, ago, you had 31 goals skating with them. But you brought him there to play with them. That's what you said. That's what you told everybody. You brought him there to play with them, and he had 31 goals when you did for half the season, or at least... You know, a chunk of it he played with Nick Benino too, so you still had a talented centerman. Well, they got rid of Benino too. Yeah, so you don't want him. They're running a tight ship up yeah. there. Look, you could get the guy that's going to score you 31 goals, or you can play with Alexander Burroughs. I mean, which option would you rather have? <laughs> so, anyway, and we're not sitting here saying that Verbata's going to come in and score 35 goals for no. the Coyotes, but 20 goals seems so attainable. And I wouldn't be shocked if he does put up 27, 28, 29. He's very comfortable here. Again, you can point, you can say, oh, look, he's 34, 35 years old. That's 10 years younger than Yaramir Yager. And I'm not saying that Verbata will be doing this in 10 years, but he could still be doing it in three or four years. And back to your original point, Craig, no risk for the Coyotes. It's a one-year deal. They've gotten so good at these no-risk incentive-laden deals. I can't, you know, I I get the the 35 and up thing. Okay, when you look at the average for players, they're going to start declining after that age. I get that. But this is a guy that is just one season removed from... 31 goals in Vancouver. And when you look at the usage, there's such a dramatic difference between the two seasons. You look at his shooting percentage, which was like almost three percentage points lower than his career average. Yeah. Now, Tip talked about that quite a bit. He said he thinks that's an anomaly. Um, part of it, you know, he, he wasn't going to get into, you know, how Vancouver was using them, but I, I do believe that was part of the problem. But the other thing is, and there's truth to this that probably doesn't seep its way into analytics when a guy isn't scoring that's expected to score, he starts pressing. Oh, yeah, and Burby was shooting from everywhere. Yeah. He was shooting from everywhere last year. You look at his his scoring chances were still good last year, but the high danger scoring chances, he wasn't getting to those areas as much. Is that because he was one year older? I, I think that's too dramatic a leap. I think part of it is he's just trying to have an impact on the game, and part of it was his line mates weren't finding him in the right situations. Look, look at his four years before last season, 35 goals with the Coyotes, 12 goals with the Coyotes, but that was the lockout-shortened year, and he missed 14 games. So if you want to project that out, you're still looking towards about 28, 29 goals. Uh, 20 goals with the Coyotes, 31 with Vancouver, and then last season when they just completely buried him way down the depth chart, he scores 13 goals. I mean, you have to know what you're, you're, you're signing when you sign any player. The Coyotes obviously know that with Verbata. He already fits in that room. And, I mean, the first thought that came into my head was playing with Max Domi. Yeah. I mean, Max Domi is a playmaker, and Red- Redeem Verbata is a finisher. If you're going to play him with Martin Hansel, I think that's what you have to do because, you know, Marty's strength in that line that we talked about back in 2011-12 was he drove the net. He, he went deep into the zone and drew defense with him, so it opened up space for Verbata and Whitney to, to dangle with the puck, do what he did so well. That's the kind of combination that you need. So if he's going to be on Hansel's line, you better have a playmaking left wing. Otherwise, what's the point? And when you look at the other guys on their roster, McGinn's really not that guy. He's a heavy body who's going to play below the circles. Tobias Reeder, assuming he signs at some point, he's really more of a two-way player, not so much a playmaker. So I'm not sure that's a perfect fit either. So if you're going to play him with Hansel, I think Max Domi is the guy that has to be on this wing. 
But as we know with Dave Tippett, he shuffles his lines quite a bit. There's a chance he get, ends up playing with one of those young centers too, and that could be the playmaker. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly something we want to keep an eye out for. And when a couple of years back before Rabada signed with Vancouver, I think the talk was can Max Domi be that replacement to Ray Whitney in terms of that single line? They would run a Domi hands over Rabada line. And I imagine at some point this season, even if they don't stick with it all the way, we will see that line in action. Maybe it's on the power play, maybe five on five. But again, I don't see a downside here. He's going to help you at even strength, he's going to help you on the power play. It's not that much money. You know he fits in that locker room. You know he knows in the system. You know he fits in the system. There's no, absolutely no downside to this. Yeah, whatsoever. and I, I think there's motivation here for, for Bada, too. Not so much the, that it's a contract here. I, I, I genuinely, from knowing the guy for so long, I don't think that's something that motivates him. But he had an off season last year, and he's frustrated by it. So I think he's coming in hungry, and he's coming to an organization with which he feels so comfortable. This is such. There's so many neat side stories to this as well that I didn't get into in my stories yesterday. He was seriously considering retiring if he didn't get an NHL offer by August 15th. And I know, you know, that's that's something that maybe some guys will mention. But with with this guy, it was legitimate. There was talk maybe he would play in the KHL. But he told me yesterday, look, if 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 I didn't get an NHL offer, which was was definitely the number one goal, I was thinking I didn't want to go somewhere else in Europe, go to a new city or a new country with a family. I've got three kids, yeah. and that's becoming more he's, and more important in guy. his life. Yeah, he's got a, a son who's in second grade, Christoph. He's got two younger sons, one who's two and a half months old and one who's two years old. He said he, he, he looked at his two-year-old when he went on road trips last year, and his two-year-old really didn't like the fact that he was leaving. So all that was weighing in. The only other thing that he was considering, if he didn't play in the NHL, was playing for his hometown team in the Czech Elite League, and he was you know, he's sort of 50-50 on that there's a strong possibility he was just going to take up being a full-time dad. It's it's unbelievable. I mean, this this is his hometown team at this point for how much he has played for the Coyotes. But it is inconceivable to me, more so me specifically with, with Verbata, that he was getting to the point where he wasn't getting legitimate NHL offers when, again, he just scored 31 goals two seasons ago, and it's not like he's 50. Um, but, you know, another name that's out there that I don't know Yuri Hoodler uh, as well as Reddy and Verbata, certainly, and I haven't seen him play the majority of the games in his career firsthand like I have with Verbata, but I don't understand why Yuri Hudler's still out there either. I, I don't get it either. One, they should bring him in just for his interviews. Yes, that's true. <laughs> I mean, he, is, he, is. he is a talker, You're and he right. is funny. I, I, don't, I don't get it. I think some, I understand that, especially in, in all sports, when an older player starts to slip a little bit, the initial reaction is, uh-oh, here's the end. There's no way he's coming back. There's no way he's going to be better. But these aren't NFL running backs we're talking about. But I think that's the perception out there. If, they, if this same thing happened and he was 29, 30, he would have been signed by now. There may be some you know, feeling of, of risk on the part of executives, too. When, when you look at where the league's going, right, you know those older players, by and large, you know this is a great deal that we t- just talked about with Verbata, but generally older players are more expensive players. And with the cap where it is right now, do I want to commit to a – you know, a 30-something wing when I can just bring in a young kid, really cheap, bring in energy. I'm sure that's weighing into this. Asking around on Yuri Hoodler a little bit, what I've gathered is that he probably was asking too high a price initially. It chased off some teams. So he sort of fell back to the back of the line. He's probably still going to get signed at some point here before camp start, but he sort of priced himself out of the initial market. And the way the NHL free agency market goes, you, you go in the first couple of days, otherwise... You wait until, like, redeem Verbata until the middle of August. It makes sense. The team had him as maybe option one or two, and they too, too expensive. They went and signed somebody else to fill that role. 
you know, if they might not have been as good. Hoodler's only 32, too. It's not even like, it, you know, the way we're talking about him, it's like, oh, yeah, he's older than Verbata. No, he's 32. I mean, why wouldn't the Oilers just sign him other than the fact that they just spent all their money on Milan Lucic? But if, if you know, if you want a veteran forward to help out some of these young guys, we already saw Hoodler do that in Calgary two years ago. I just, some, and, and some mean, stuff baffles and me. And money aside, I mean, obviously, if you're asking for too much money, that's the easiest way to well, sit yeah. on the market for a while. But at this point. But as we've talked about with some of the other veterans a couple episodes back there's also the allure of i want to see what i have in my young guys i want to see what i have in those teetering between ahl nhl guys or just coming out of juniors i want to see what i have there because if i can get 80 85 percent 90 percent of the production that i think i'm going to get from them versus hoodler i want to give the young guy that i have team control over yeah that shot on that entry level deal and especially now this close to cam and you saw rookie camp's already been over. You're looking at it like, eh, I think that person could steal that roster spot. I don't want to block them for another year to sign Yuri Hoodler. That makes sense to me on the surface. And, and I'm sure if we went team by team, we could say, and I guess we are going team by team over the, the span of 10 weeks so we could get deeper into that. But if there, only we were going team by team. Yeah, if only we were proving them. Hmm. Uh, it's a cool idea. Um, but Somebody look, should do that. If, if we were they looking deeper. We should also like, put on guests from around like, the hockey world. Don't, don't give away these ideas. Questions. We yeah, should they, do this. You know what? Somebody should have done this. Yeah. Oh, well. By the way, who do we have coming up on the show today? Uh, Curtis Curtis Pasheka or Pasheka, yeah, and uh, area news group to talk sharks, and then Harvey Fialkov from the Sun Sentinel to talk Florida Panthers. Yes, and we're going to preview the Winnipeg Jets. Harvey's a personality, well. by the way. I think he's just getting off the tennis court today. So, oh, nice. Yeah, Excellent. in South Florida, as he described it, it's it's like it's a like sauna right now. Thirty degrees. Yeah. Um, yeah. So anyway, I would just with with a guy I, I, with a guy like Hoodler, I get that from a team to team basis. Oh, we're you know we're bringing up one or two prospects this year. We don't want to block that. But there's teams that are have three, four, or five spots open, and all of their prospects aren't going to fill all of them. Whatever, I'm done raging about Yuri Hoodler. I'm, I'm happy the Coyotes at least stepped up and, and added Radim Verbata, who makes more sense for them because he's already been here. You already know what you're getting, and he's been very successful here. Uh, a former Coyote, Antoine Vermette, to the Anaheim Ducks. I don't think anybody's shocked that he, he signed pretty quickly somewhere. Uh, we've talked about him. We talked about him a couple weeks ago when the Coyotes bought him out. I guess it's tougher now that he's in Anaheim and he's a division rival, but I think most Coyotes fans are are rooting for Antoine Vermette. No doubt. Good guy around the locker room, universally liked. So you're happy to see him get a role. And, you know, with with the price he signed at in Anaheim and the role he'll have, that makes sense. I mean, he could have had that same role here, but they needed to open up some room for these young centers. I think this was as clear a sign as any that the Coyotes believe that they got a couple of young centers ready to make the leap to the NHL, whether that's Dylan Stroman, one of the more defensive guys like Laurent Dauphin or Tyler Godet, or whether Christian Dvorak also makes this roster. Again, I think it was a sign that they need to open up those spots now. They can't block them with someone who's not a part of the long-term plan. And that, that just to be clear, is different than a team saying, oh, we have prospects, so we're not going to sign any established players. The Coyotes specifically have centers ready to make this team. I mean, depending, depending where you looked before Austin Matthews was drafted, Dylan Strom's pretty widely considered the top prospect or the top one or two prospects in hockey. So if he's a center and you are expecting him to break in, then yes, you need to specifically clear out one of your centers. And Craig, I'm just going to let you make the point. There is a difference between Antoine Vermette and Radim Vervada. Yes, center and right wing would be the difference between those two. Yes. They play different positions. And I, uh, I had a lot of people asking me, wondering, I know you did too, what, what's the sense in this? You buy out Vermette and then you sign Verbata. Well, they play different positions. Yes. It's as simple as that. They had a gaping hole at right wing, 
as I said earlier, I think they explored some other options, couldn't, pull the, couldn't put it all together. So Redeem Verbata was always there as a possibility. They brought him back. They didn't need a center. In fact, they needed a center no. spot open, and they desperately needed a winger who is more of a pure goal scorer. I mean, not to describe Verbata like a Vetchkin, but his primary purpose is scoring goals. That was not Vermette's primary purpose at this point. So it made a lot of sense for the Coyotes to add uh, Radim Verbata. And like I said, I hope things work out for Antoine Vermette and Anna. I, I kind of think they will. I think he's in a good spot for himself. All right, so we are going to do those previews that uh, Jamie was alluding to so slyly over there. And we're going to start with uh, Harvey Fielkov of the Florida Sun Sentinel. That's coming up right now. All right, as we continue our uh, team-by-team preview, we're going to look at the Florida Panthers. We're joined now by Harvey Fialkov of the Sun Sentinel. You can find him on Twitter at HFialkov, uh, F-I-A-L-K-O-V. Harvey, thanks so much for joining us. First off, we got, we got to ask, how, how was the tennis game today? Um, honestly, I, uh, my busted a string in the first set. Well, at least you escaped the Florida heat then, huh? Uh, no, we play, played. I used my second racket. <laughs> All right, there it is. Obviously. <laughs> All right, well, let's, let's get into this. Uh, obviously, a lot of changes around the Florida Panthers in the offseason, front office, roster, I guess a little bit surprising to, you know, uninitiated outsiders given the success they had last year. But let's start by looking at some of those changes. The biggest one of all, i got to ask you, how big a loss was Chris Wojcik? <laughs> <laughs> uh, on the grounds that incriminate me, I please the fifth. <laughs> <laughs> We're familiar with him, obviously, out here because he was with the Coyotes for many years. So <laughs> I know, and he won an award. That's right. Let's not mention that on the air. I don't want to give him a big head. We can cut that out. All right, let's let's look at some of those changes in the front office. What was the thinking behind promoting Dale Talon to president of Hockey Ops, you know, Tom Rogan's GM? Is it just simply a move more in line with other teams' structure? What were what was the logic behind all of this? Oh boy, that's another touchy subject. Um, a lot of us are surprised by that. They call it a promotion and I'm sure Dale uh, Accepted it as that because um, Dale never liked doing contracts. You know, they kind of got him in hot water in Chicago, the whole salary cap issue, mm-hmm. and, and it wasn't one of his favorite things. But boy, he's got an eye for talent, guys. Just look at the Blackhawks, and now look at the Panthers, the young town. It's got to be the best in, in the NHL. So they're saying um, that Dale would just rather uh, procure talent to be more of a uh, elite out, and uh, that's what we're sticking to. And Tom Rowe, who Dale brought into the organization, is now the GM. Bottom line is, in the past, Dale Talent always had the last say on every personnel matter. And now, it's more of a committee thing. Dale has a huge voice, and maybe if there's a lock jam, a tie, Talent's getting the final vote. But there's no question they took some of his power away, even with the promotion. But, you know, Dale's like mid-60s. Uh, he's got probably added a few more years on his contract. And these owners, they, they really pay off the, their employees very handsomely. Even the people they fire, they give them uh, <laughs> a nice golden parachute out the door. I wish that the newspapers would do that uh, for us, but that's not going to happen. 
So, you know, as you noted, Dale Talon has an eye for talent. He did it in Chicago. He's done it here. So why give him less power then? What's the thinking? Any, any insights, any thoughts on that? Well, it's the whole analytics craze. Mm. Uh, these guys, anybody old, they come from Wall Street, financial uh, you know, analysts. They analyze numbers, and uh, they believe in analytics. So they hired a lot of young lawyer types with some hockey background. Most of them attended West Point because that's where the owner proudly hails from. And um, they're really using analytics as is the growing trend around the NHL. And that wasn't talent bad. He's more a sight guy uh, and a field guy and a gut guy. Although talent did say he implements all the tools that he could possibly possess. But I believe they're going way more for uh, the uh, numbers side, uh, this new group that's come in. Uh, they want quick, fast, mobile defensemen moving that puck up the ice. They want the puck in the offensive zone. You know, for the Corsis and the Fenwicks of the world. Uh, <laughs> Dave Tippett calls them Korsky and Fenske. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like a, uh, a, a police partner is in a crime. I don't know. All I know is uh, the world of numbers, guys, and that's where everybody's going. But we'll see what happens. But they still, even with all the changes, I really feel on paper. They're a better team. On ice, we'll have to wait. Yeah, Harvey, a lot of young talent on this team, and probably the most valuable young talent. Like you just mentioned, a puck-moving defenseman, uh, Aaron Ekblad. He gets an eight-year deal this summer. Was there any sense of urgency that they had to get him locked up with the sense that he might actually be that rare player that gets offer-sheeted by other teams if he ever got to RFA status? No, Ekblad, he loves it here. All these guys really do love it. They loved it even before the team was good. And now that they're good, why, why go? I mean, these kids come from Canada. They squeeze their butts off all year. <laughs> they got their sunshine all year round. And golf in the offseason. Pretty girls walking around for these young, rich bachelors. Uh, I mean, it's just, a, it's, it's, a, it's just a pleasure to be here. So why why would Aaron Ekblad leave? And there was no sense of urgency to any of these RFAs. Right now, they're waiting on Huberdeau's going to be the next uh, puck to drop, so to speak. Uh, I think there was a CBA rule where they couldn't lock up all his guys within a one-week period, so they're, they're waiting on Huberdeau. Uh, but that'll get done as well. He's not going anyway. We talked about the, the changes in the front office, but what about all the roster changes, uh, especially on the blue line, where I think it was four key D-men gone. Um, you know, you, you win the division, you have some success, but obviously they didn't in the playoffs. What was the thinking there? Why did they feel the need to make so many changes? I, I know some of those had to happen, but why did they feel the need to make some changes here? Right, half of them really had to happen. Willie Mitchell, he's never going to put on a pair of skates again unless he's skating with his kids in the backyard. Green, <laughs> but uh, too many concussions. Uh, Brian Campbell, 37-ish, 38. I mean, uh, up for a new contract. Dale Talon, he should name some of the kids at Dale Talon. At the town, he gave him 56 mil a few years back with the Blackhawks. Uh, they just got a younger version of him with Yandel. I mean, Yandel was the best offensive, puck moving defenseman in the NHL. So that's, that's better than a wash. Um, the, the surprise to me was not Kulikov. He's an RFA. He's going to look for more money. He's been around seven years. Probably the oldest 25 year old in history. Um, <laughs> 
you know, Kulikov, I, I think it was time to move on. But Gabronson, Eric Gabronson, that's another one that I don't think Talon is 100% behind. He loves this kid. He was Talon is the future captain from the minute he drafted him as a third all-around pick at 2010, I believe it was. So he was the roughest, toughest defenseman on the, on the blue line. When nobody was bothering Alonzo and screaming Alonzo and Gabronson was on the ice. So that one really surprised me, guys. Keep the fast, mobile defenseman, but also don't lose your toughness on the blue line. Apparently, um, Matt, Mike Matheson, who was a rookie last year, played two, three regular season games and just played great in the playoffs, like a season veteran. He's going to bring toughness. They got Ian McCoshin coming up from Boston College, going to compete for a job. He's got that edge to him. So I guess they saw it in the future that some of the young, promising defensemen could. could Bill Gabronson shoes. They went to Jazz McCann on Vancouver, a young kid who could obviously put the puck in the net, but he hasn't really proven it yet over a full season. You mentioned Keith Yandel, and he got the big contract from the Panthers this offseason. What are the expectations for him both year one and going forward, and do we know who he's going, going to be his partner? Well, uh, I, I, you know, people think it's going to be with Ekblad. One of the reasons he came here was to be with Ekblad. He said that from day one. He just loved the skill that on this, you know, twenty-year-old kid is just, uh, you know, his age, his agent is Bobby Orr, and that's who he <laughs> he plays like. Minus some of the offensive uh, promise. Uh, Yandel expecting big things on the power play for him, guys. The Panthers top ten offense, top ten defense, and they were probably I think twenty-fourth and twenty-third on, on, on penalty kills and, and power play. But that's where this team has to take the next step on the PK and the PP. And Yandel is going to be a major boost on the power play. He's shown it every season he's been in the NHL. He's among the top three or four guys on power play assists. So he's going to do better than Campbell in that situation. Ekblad's getting better. Petrovic, who also is a tough defenseman, uh, is also shown some promise. Uh, his offensive skills picked up in the playoffs. So. A big load is on Yandel's shoulders, guys. That's gonna, we're going to have to wait and see. Nice to hear that the Panthers are probably going to use him the right way as opposed to the way the uh, Rangers used him up in New York. Um, Yarmir Yager will be 45 by the end of this upcoming season. It, he's not slowing down, obviously. 27 goals, 66 points last year. Led the first-place team in total points. Can we keep expecting him to be this good? And, and maybe nobody can answer this, but how long do you think he's going to play? <laughs> yeah. You know him, he says 50, but uh, we got we got Ichiro Suzuki and the Marlins and Yager both staying the plane until 50, and <laughs> neither one shows signs of slowing down uh, their conditioning marvels. But here's the thing, you know, what has Yager done for us, for anyone in the playoffs in his last uh, several years? I forgot what the streak is, about 36 to 37 games in a row without, without a goal. Um, you know, the playoffs is when it gets more physical, guys, and... The Islanders were really hitting Yager every time he touched the puck. And during the season, it seemed like the other the opponents were respecting the legend and really not giving him any cheap shots. That changed in the first game against the Islanders. He got crushed into the boards from behind by the Islanders' rookie defenseman from his pole lap. And uh, I thought he might have had a concussion in that first game. I'll never admit to that. But it seemed like he just a little slow in the trigger for the rest of the series. Father time catches us all, guys. I just got off the tennis course and drop shots they beat up five years ago are now uh, I'm just waving it. 
You mentioned Gilbertson earlier in, in the uh, podcast here, and, and obviously the player that they got, the, the principal in return was Jared McCann. Curious where he fits in this lineup and, and what the thinking is, what the expectations are for him moving forward. Third line guy, the whole reason they did a lot of these trades, Colton Scavier and John Marchessault, was, was to improve the third and fourth line. The first two lines are just Colden, mentioned the Yaga line, and then we can't leave out Trocek, Jokinen, and Riley Smith, who came into his own last year, as did Denny. And Jokinen had a, a very quiet, amazing year at 32 years old, probably the best of his career. But anyhow, the third and fourth line uh, struggled, especially in the playoffs. It was totally dominated by the Islanders. Uh, secondary guys. So that's where McCann fits in. He's going to be with Bukestead for sure, and I'm guessing Colton Scovier on the other side. Whether McCann plays wing or center depends on where he's more comfortable. Trochak just blossomed when he moved off the wing back to center, his original position in, in Junior. And maybe that'll help Jared McCann as well, because I think Bukestead is better off on the wing. He's a big, strong guy, and he's not just a great playmaker like a Huberdo or or Vinny, uh, so I think uh, possibly put McCann as a third-line center and see what the kid could do for you. You just mentioned a lot of young talent up front. Uh, is there going to be room this year, or maybe how soon, for the guy the Panthers took number 11 overall in 2015, Lawson Krause? That's another great question. I, I think they have to keep him. If he goes back to junior, he's going to hurt somebody. <laughs> you know, he can't go to the AHL. He's only 19. Um, and the rule that they have to protect, I guess, uh, you know, the minor leagues in, in, in Canada. But still, this like Gabrasson, when they sent him back to juniors, he, he really did hurt some, some kids. <laughs> and I feel like Lawson Cruz is going to make the team. I think they're going to start him on the fourth line, look, you know, improve his defense. And obviously he has a huge physical element. They call him the sheriff for a good reason. <laughs> he takes no prisoners. I mean, the guy just loves to hit. And uh, I think he's going to be a fourth-line guy with Derek McKenzie and maybe John Marchessault or whoever else uh, makes the team at a training camp. So that's where uh, he's going to fit in. All right, Harvey, the last question for you, and just big picture here. Based on what they did in the regular season and what happened in the postseason, what does a successful season look like for the Florida Panthers this year? Clearly, they got to get out of the first round. Uh, that was a huge disappointment last year. And guys, they really outplayed the Islanders. I know it's sour grapes, but they just didn't test Thomas uh, Grice enough, and um, you know they just couldn't contain Tavares. So uh, three to lose three overtime games, two double overtime games is just an anomaly, a fluke. Usually, one if you got to win one of those games, and of course the famous non tripping call on Trocek in game six in the closing minutes uh, and then the Islanders tied up uh, when they pulled their goal away. That was atrocious call. I should say a, a Trocek call. and um, <laughs> It should have been the game seven in Sunrise. So uh, that was really just one of the most flagrant missed calls by a referee I've ever seen. That said, I think they obviously have to get out of the first round, guys. Uh, 
and we leave out Luongo, you know, 36 years old, coming off hip surgery. That's why they locked up James Reimer to possibly succeed Luongo. I think they're going to split the games maybe, uh, you know, 45-35, 45-37, something like that, uh, to make Luongo sharper in the playoffs. Because Luongo, clearly tired in the second half of the season, wasn't as sharp as he was in the first half when he earned the all-star break. So uh, I don't think there's any team that the Panthers cannot beat. Uh, so uh, you got to prove it. The young guys got another year's experience in the playoffs, and I think that's what it takes, experience, to see what it's like in that second season. All right, Harvey, great insights. Thank you so much for joining us. Go get yourself fully hydrated, and hopefully we can talk to you again down the road. Anytime, guys. Take care. Thanks, Harvey. Care. That's Harvey Fialkov of the Sun Sentinel. Again, you can find him on Twitter. At H. Fialkov, you know, he had a couple points in there that stood out to me, specifically that last one, Luongo mm-hmm. and, and Reimer potentially almost splitting games. I mean, you look at it at first, and you're like, okay, well, Luongo's routinely one of the best goalies in the league. Would you really do that? But then you take a step back, and you're like, well, why would you bring Reimer in to just play 10 to 15 games? And if the goal is to win playoff series, which it obviously is at this point, it'd be nice to have your number one goalie pretty fresh when the playoffs roll around. So that that, that was eye-opening to me, but also makes a lot of sense the more you think about it. Yeah, they signed James Reimer with a purpose, and, and as we just learned, that's the reason why. And again, it's insurance. You've got to know, just in case something happens to Luongo injury-wise, poor performance middle of the season. The, the Florida Panthers aren't in a spot where they're so good that they can last a month if their goaltending is what's losing them games. They can't last. So if they need to make a change, just quickly, we see it happen all the time now. I mean, I mean for most teams... It's whoever's the hottest goalie once they get to the postseason. Yeah. There, there are very few teams where it feels like almost like running backs in the NFL now. There are just very few teams where there's just one guy and that's it, and we're going to ride him all the way, win or lose, up or down. Having options is never a bad thing. Interesting insights on the uh, front office as well with you know Dale, Dale Talon. On the one hand, you, you look at it and you say, okay, more opinions, probably a good thing as long as they're educated opinions. You know, you, you probably need to incorporate, maybe Dale Talon wasn't incorporating enough of that, but on the other hand, he was having some success identifying talent. So do you have you risked, I guess, bruising the ego so much that this becomes a problem down the road? Maybe not if you gave him that golden parachute that Harvey's talking about, but interesting dynamic there in the front office. You, you, you often hear you don't fix what's not broken, and, and they were doing a pretty good job of evaluating talent, and yet they make these changes, and it doesn't sound like it was something Dale Talon necessarily wanted. Yeah, it's weird because they, they are a very fun team. I think if you just if you just want to watch hockey and you're not necessarily looking at your favorite team, Florida's going to be one of the more entertaining teams to watch. They already were last year, and then you bring in a guy like Lawson Cruz potentially this year too. Um, so they are they're, they're definitely trending the right direction pretty quickly. You don't often see a team make a front office shakeup like that in this position or change up their defense as much as they did. I thought it was interesting, too, the way he talked about Goodbranson, because I remember remember coming in here right after that trade happened. That was one of the rare trades that happened before we did a podcast. And you guys were both like, this doesn't make any sense uh, for Vancouver, which it doesn't, but it's Vancouver. But I really didn't think it made sense for either team. I just <laughs> I didn't fully understand it. And, and he kind of echoed that, especially if, if Dale Talon was really on board with Goodbranson, just because of the defensive pieces you already have that aren't like him. Well, I think the insight we got into why the front office changes were made, talk about this, because this trade is, as we've seen a lot, there's a dividing line on certain players more than others yeah. where the, you want to call it old school, want to call it traditional, want to call it the eye test versus new school analytics stats. And Cabranson is one of those players that's mm-hmm. very polarizing where 
you a lot of people watch him play and say that's a heavy body he's young he's physical he has some offensive tools I want somebody like that on my team the analytics crowd will look at his underlying numbers and say he can't move the puck he never ha- he doesn't do well when he has it we don't need, you don't need to pay a guy like that four plus million dollars and I think that's where we see that line drawn and that's where I think the perfect example of what happened in this front office shift Talon wanted that type of player. The analytics said maybe he's not that good, and they make the trade. Yeah, it's a good point. And, and I think that type of defenseman is sort of the poster boy for that dividing line between the analytics community and the old school community. I think it's easiest to see in that type of player the divide. So that's, that's probably what played out there. Well, I mean, and that makes sense certainly in a vacuum, but I think a team like Branson to me makes more sense for Florida because they have Ekblad and now they have Yandel and they have these these quicker puck moving offensive players. Whereas for Vancouver, he doesn't make really any sense. Now, again, it's Vancouver, but yeah, maybe 20, 25 of the teams, he's not a good fit. Florida seemed like one of the few teams he was a good fit. Now, of course, the caveat is you're going to have to pay him uh, probably more than maybe he is worth in that vacuum. Then obviously you can you can make some some changes, but. You know, McCann showed some stuff last year with Vancouver, but it doesn't seem like Florida needs him. Like, we just rattled off, or Harvey really just rattled off their top mm-hmm. nine forwards, and, and they're all pretty young, talented players other than Yager, who's just an older, talented player, and they've got more coming up. So yeah. I don't, I'm sure I, they don't care about face-off wins either. They, they don't. I love the through the Trocheck play in there, too. That was <laughs> one of the most egregious oh, yeah, yeah, calls yeah, ever. Yeah, he brought it up. Oh, yeah. It only swung the entire season for those two teams. Um, <laughs> All right, anything else on Florida, or should we transition over to the uh, Winnipeg Jets here? Let's move along. All right, Winnipeg is, uh, and I know that this is not everybody's favorite team in this particular city where we are recording this podcast, and I'm not saying you should uh, necessarily be out there polling for the Jets, but they are also a pretty fun young team. Florida is one of those teams. I think uh, Coyotes fans can rejoice in the fact that the Coyotes are one of those teams. The Flames are one of those teams. Winnipeg is another one. Now, granted, they got a huge gift moving up from where they were supposed to draft to get to take Patrick Laine, but they already had a pretty good prospect pool on top of him. Yeah, there's another team that got a greater gift Well, one yes. year earlier, but we won't talk about That's them. That's true. That's we talk point. about them too much. I think Winnipeg will do something with their gift. How's that? <laughs> so you add Laine to a, you know, a team that, you just got 30-goal season from Mark Shifley, who's still really young. Uh, Nikolai Ehlers, inconsistent last year, but also, what, 20 years old last year. Like, he's he showed flashes. That's a lot of good young talent up front. But uh, this is a question we've kind of looked at in the past. I guess I'll start us off here. Why the potential interest in moving Jacob Truba? I still don't have an answer. Okay, I, that's good. I, I don't know why you would trade a young defenseman. Right-handed shot, correct? Yeah. A, yes. a young right-handed shot defenseman. Why would you not do everything in your power to get that player into contract? Well, I think there's still some question about Jacob Truba's upside, so you wonder if maybe he has better trade value than he will down the road. But I, I think that even that is a bit of a stretch. I think a lot of people will like this kid. A lot of people would make that trade for him, you know, given the right price. When you look at the money Winnipeg has tied up in its blue line, that may be playing into this as well with Dustin Bufflin and Toby Enstrom making 5.75 and Tyler Myers. So you've got you've got a whole lot of cash. Yeah. Of course, we've all talked about moving Dustin Bufflin up to forward and solving it right there, but that's not happening in Winnipeg. So I think all those factors play into this. But again, like you said, young right-handed defenseman with, with this sort of upside, 
they're gold in this league. You yeah. just don't find these guys, so uh, I don't get it. it. It almost, something just doesn't seem right. Like, if you are legitimately trying to trade him, I can't believe the trade isn't already done. So then if you're not trying to trade him, then why isn't he signed? <laughs> like, it just, it, it, given the premium that is placed on young defensemen in this league with that sort of upside, it, it is amazing to me that he is still a restricted free agent at this point. And I don't know, I have to assume he's going to be playing for the Jets this season, but it, it, is, it is interesting that we're in the middle of August and he's still just uh, sort of floating around out there. My other question with this team is in goal because Connor Hellebuck looked so much better than Andre Pavlik or Michael Hutchinson last year. Uh, really, he looked better than either of them have in their careers. Uh, Hellebuck only played 26 games last year, but you have to also look at the fact that he played in the World Championships the year before. Not the World Juniors, the World Championships for Team USA, and he was lights out and net there. I just you, you look at Winnipeg, and they have all that money tied up in the blue line, but they have a pretty good young blue line, and they've got all this good young talent up front. I understand they have Pavlik and Hutchinson signed for this year, but don't you turn it over to your best goalie if you're serious about making the playoffs in the Central? I, I think they do, actually. And when you look at their contract situation for their goaltending, it's not prohibitive, it's not right? So they're not in a bad situation there. So, you know, the question with Connor Hellebuck is can he sustain it over a season? But that's what you have to find out. Obviously, you have to find that out with any young player. But I think they are in a situation where they can experiment a little bit here and, and try and find that hot goalie because they don't have a heck of a lot of money. Less than 7% of it tied up in their in their goalies. 7% of the cap. It's all tied up in their blue line. Yeah, as we just yeah, mentioned. Yeah, a third yes. of their money is tied up in their blue line right now. But is anything but playing on Andre Pavlik? I mean, I don't know how many years Pavlik's going to play in the league until people, I think, people, I, people, teams understand that don't play him anymore. Well, teams are made up of people, James. Well, he's a so UFA like after a, this year, so it, I know you're, you're the doing, reckoning may be coming. Yeah, I think it should, and I think it has to. But you got to wonder, because this is a team that we've talked about as are we – right on that cusp of being a playoff team where they have on paper, they look, if you take out their division, you take out what we saw them do last year, if you just look strictly on paper, that's a team that has a playoff caliber roster. They have some questions in net, but you hope between the three goalies we've already mentioned that they can find somebody to get hot at enough times to kind of sustain them through the season. But, you, you know, you got to wonder that do they play their best goaltender this year or are they going to wait till next year? It's another team that if they were in the Atlantic, you, you just yeah. you're like, oh, they'd be in. Of course, if they were in Atlanta, then they would be in the Atlantic. So you know, take that for what it's worth. But you, you look at those teams in the West, and we've you know we've already talked a little bit about we've talked about Calgary, Arizona, and Winnipeg in the past. We haven't uh, we haven't previewed those other two teams just yet. But those to me are the three teams in the Western Conference that missed the playoffs last year that that show a lot of similarities that could be set up to to sneak into the playoffs this year. Except you have to find teams that are going to drop out of the top eight. And specifically, Winnipeg is the toughest path because they have to find a way into at least the top five in the Central. Now, in a little bit of the way we talked about Colorado last week and Patrick Watt, if they're a coach away, is the division they're in the only thing holding Winnipeg back from being a playoff team? Or is there something more? Are, are we giving – it's obviously a factor because of all the quality teams there. But is, are we giving that too much credit as an excuse for why they're not making it in? Well, I, like you said earlier, I think it's a factor in it. I, I don't know how much what that percentage is that you give it, but it's definitely playing a role when you're talking about cup contenders like the Blackhawks and St. Louis. And Nashville's obviously a, a pretty good team as well. And you've got Bruce Boudreau in Minnesota and Patrick Waugh out of Colorado. So you've got a lot of issues in that division. But, yeah, again, when, when you look at what happened two seasons ago, so many people were surprised by what this team did last season. 
it's hard to pinpoint it. The goaltending is one thing that you look at, but I, I always go back to this. I, I like the blue line on this team, and I, again, I like Jacob Truba's future. I always go back to looking up the middle and, and sizing up the center position. And, you know, they obviously believe in Mark Scheifele. They, they just gave him a nice contract. But when you're evaluating it compared to the other teams, the other elite teams, does Mark Scheifele stack up with the other elite centers of the Western Conference? Does their number two guy stack up with the other number two guys? That's a big part of the equation for me. Maybe I overweight that. But that's, that's sort of one of the places where I start when I'm considering whether a team is a legitimate contender, a legitimate playoff team, et cetera. Well, I don't think you overweight it, but you know that's that to me is more of a of a conversation of are the Jets a team that's going to go to the Western Conference Finals or contend in the next couple of years? But just in terms of, you know, they they have not won a playoff game ever since being relocated <laughs> to Winnipeg. They've made the playoffs once. They got swept by Anaheim two years ago. Uh, if you remember that series, they played Anaheim about as close as you can play a team while still getting swept. Yeah, it was a great series, actually. It was the closest sweep I think I've ever seen in sports. Yes, which sounds like a backhanded compliment, but it, it really... <laughs> but it's true. Yeah, and it might be a backhanded compliment, too, I guess, considering it's coming from Jamie. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's they finished last in the division last year. That, you know, they're... I think a lot of it is the fact that you're in the Central Division, but they could have still had a good year last year and missed the playoffs. They finished with 76 points. Now, yes, they got very lucky at the lottery. I would I would contend they they were the biggest winners of the lottery because Toronto had the worst record. So at a certain point, the team with the worst record gets the the top player. You know, Winnipeg had what the sixth, basically tied for the sixth or seventh worst record, and got to move all the way up and get Patrick Line. But still, they only had 76 points. I mean, that's that. They need to fix that. That's on them. There's a very realistic chance they could finish with 88 points, 90 points, and still miss the playoffs. And then you look at your division, and you're like, okay, well, at a certain point, things need to break our way. But when you only finish the year with 35 wins, you have to look in the mirror first. Also, if you look at that division, outside of St. Louis, did anybody really get worse? No. You could argue some of them stayed where they were, or, you know, is Patrick Roy addition by subtraction? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I like it when Jamie answers his own questions. It, that the rest of that division didn't get worse. No, and Winnipeg. I mean, yes, they had a line, but they didn't get a whole world better. They're going to have to play a lot better with the pieces they had, and hope that Ehlers continues to progress. That Blake Wheeler stays as good as he's been the last few years as one of the most underrated players in the league. As much as Coyotes fans listen, oh, are, they hate you right are, now. Yeah, they, they hate, hate me right, right now, now. But it's true; he's one of the most underrated players in the league. And you got to wonder: Nashville got better. Minnesota's got a new coach. Are they any better? Chicago is going to be as good as always. Maybe they'll, they'll be better when they get VC two hours after we finish recording this yeah, podcast. Yeah, still about an hour and a half away. I know you were curious VC. about this, too. You were wondering about Line's impact in his first year, and that's, that is one that's of the creepy. interesting That's I was just going to ask that question. Well, fire away, then. No, and you already – I mean, you, you looked at me, you read my mind, and you pulled out the question, so, so go ahead. So what's your answer, Luke? No, I can't answer my own question. That was a question I for was, you guys. I showed question. you you can answer your own question. That's only when you're ripping Patrick Waugh. Uh, I mean, the expectations are what? That he's going to come right in and score 25 goals? You hear you hear scouts talk about him being a potential 40-goal scorer someday, not this year, but Yeah, someday. remember the chatter that he was going to go number one overall? Well, yeah, yeah, that, was, that was cute. Yeah. That was, that was, that was cute. Yeah. Remember Jack Eichel was, oh, maybe Jack Eichel's going to push Conton. Yeah, <sighs> okay. every year, maybe the guy yeah. who's definitely going second is going to go first overall. People but, just get bored. We've talked about that. They just get bored. They do. But that said, I mean, that does underscore the fact that he was he was clearly going number two, and there are some, I will say this, there are some that believe he's going to be more of a pure goal scorer than Austin Matthews. Now, Matthews may help your team more, he plays center, he can score, he can set up plays, he can do a lot of different things. 
But it's possible Line A comes in and we look back at this draft in five, ten years, and he was the, the best just pure goal scorer. I don't know. Is it unrealistic to expect 20 goals from him as a as a rookie right out of the draft this year? I don't think it's unrealistic. So much depends on situation, right? So Situation health. Again. Yeah. You made me ask that question just so you could give me that I answer. I just dropped that and yeah. move on. Yeah. yeah. Thanks. <laughs> so let me take a sip of coffee. All right. You enjoy I don't that. I more coffee. All right. Are we going to move on to uh, San Jose here? We're going to talk to Curtis Pichelka of uh, Bay Area News. And then we're going to come back with the uh, Lipinski list and final thoughts. Okay, as we continue our uh, team-by-team preview, we're joined now by Curtis Pichelka of Bay Area News Group. He covers the San Jose Sharks. Of course, the Sharks went to the Stanley Cup final last year, came up just short, but still their most successful season in franchise history. Craig, why don't you take it away? Yeah, with that in mind, Curtis, let's start with a broad question. How do we process last season's run? Did the Sharks finally put it all together? Was this anomaly? Can it possibly be sustained given the age of some key players? Well, I think you look at it a situation where they started the playoffs, and I thought, um, you know, they finished third in the division, a pretty competitive division with Anaheim and L.A., and, you know, they got L.A. in the first round. And I went in that series thinking, okay, I think the Sharks could could beat L.A., but, you know, if they, got, if they had to face Anaheim, then they might uh, run into some trouble because Anaheim really kind of had their number uh, during the regular season. But... Um, you look at it, and Anaheim gets upset by Nashville, so that turns into a little bit more favorable matchup for the Sharks in the second round. And then, obviously, Chicago gets uh, gets beat by St. Louis uh, in the first round over in the Central Division. And, and uh, you know, from that point forward, it was pretty wide open. I think the Sharks um, finally have, I think, the one key for them going forward is they finally have their franchise goalie in Martin Jones. They had... Good goalies in the past, obviously, to have been for, for a lot of years, and then Antti Niemi for, for several years. And both very good goalies in their own right, but they, they couldn't really duplicate or, in, in, in Nabokov's success, really couldn't get past, get the team past, um, you know, the second or third round into the final. Uh, in Niemi's case, he, he had a very good first season with the Sharks. The lockout season was very good for him. Uh, but seemed to decline a little bit as time went on. And now you've got a, a, a young goalie in Martin Jones who everybody has confidence in. And, and uh, that's, I think that's the biggest key going forward for this team is that they have that, they have that question answered now. They have a, a franchise goalie they can lean on for 60 to 65 games. And, you know, you get to the point where, you know, then you start to, to look at the team around him. And I think Sharks are pretty, so pretty well set up for – for this season, as far as beyond that, it's a good question. I don't know long term what what this what the future holds, but I think at least for this season coming up, they look to be in pretty good shape. You mentioned Martin Jones, and he played excellent last season, but he played a lot, something he hasn't done in the NHL before last year. Is there any concern that that might affect him this season, or is what his play last year the new standard for him going forward? Well, I think if, you know when you look at last season, um, there were times where the workload maybe caught up to him a little bit, and he seemed to play his best when he was able to get a little bit of a break. You know, the All Star break. There was a time in December where they were able to, to kind of give him a little bit of a break too, and so when he got off, when he got back from those kind of mini breaks, um, you know, he seemed to play a lot better. Uh, I don't know. It's, a, it's sort of an interesting situation with the Sharks' backup goalie uh, situation right now. They've got uh, three young guys. We're not necessarily young guys, but 
the three guys are going to be competing for the backup job, and they're going to give. I think they're going to give the opportunity for one of those guys to to win the job and, and see what they can do. You know, once their regular season starts. But if one of those guys really doesn't, uh, you know, come through and, and kind of take the the bull by the horns, uh, you know, they could be in the market for an experienced backup goalie to sort of alleviate maybe some of the uh, the workload on Jones. But uh, you know, I think he, he looks comfortable, you know, playing 55, 60 games. I'm sorry, I got a bit of a cold, but 55, 60 games a year. Um, you know, handling that, you know, playing, you know, um, you know, certain, you know, most nights and then you know, taking, a, taking the night off when they play back-to-backs, especially on the road. So, um, you know, I think I think Jones is is uh, okay with the workload. I think the Sharks are okay with him playing, you know, 60 games a year. Uh, but it's going to be a situation that's worth watching all, all season long for sure. Before the Sharks' great run last year, I think the offseason before can be characterized as chaotic, uh, a little bit up in the air. Was Doug Wilson's job in jeopardy before the run last season? Well, it's not to say he was in jeopardy. He, he has a very good relationship with the owner, a hostile partner, and there's no, um, you know, in, structurally in the organization, there's no one between uh, the general manager and the owner. There's no president of hockey operations where... You know, there's someone else, you know, in uh, in that structure there. So those two talk pretty frequently, and we got a chance to talk to uh, Hassel Plotner kind of midway through the season when the Sharks had their 25th anniversary gala. You know, he he says Doug was doing a great job, and but at the same time, if the Sharks, uh, if Martin Jones didn't work out, if some of the moves that the Sharks had made, um, you know, didn't quite pan out, then. Certainly, questions were going to be asked as to whether um, you know Doug Wilson would be with the team long term. I think um, you know if if uh, you know if, if if things didn't work out, I think Doug would have still been given the opportunity to sort of turn the ship around, giving his given his track record of, of getting the team to the playoffs or putting together a team that was playoff capable, um, you know, for ten straight years. Uh, but you know, when 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 seats aren't filled. You know, when the Sharks had, had some trouble selling out the building last season, um, you know, it tends to that tends to speak pretty loudly when you know there's a lot of empty seats in the building and fans are starting to clamor and, and seat ticket holders are starting to clamor for for, for changes. So um, my guess is that uh, it wasn't in, in jeopardy last season, but if they had they had missed the playoffs again, then I think the Sharks would have you know seriously looked at making some changes up top. Curtis, if there was a knock on the Sharks in the Stanley Cup, it was maybe that they couldn't keep up with the Penguins speed-wise. Now they add Mikel Bodker, a four-year deal, pretty pretty nice deal actually at $4 million per season. What are your expectations, or maybe what are the team's expectations uh, for him in his first year as a Shark? Well, I think he's, he's going to be a pretty reliable winger, and you know, he, I think he fits pretty well on that second line with uh, Logan Couture. And uh, Jonas Donskoy, that seemed to be a pretty that would seem to be a pretty good line uh, to put out. But more more than that, it's just the depth. I mean, when they when they played Pittsburgh, not only you got to deal with the Crosby line and the Malkin line, but you look at that third line, the HBK line, that really gave a lot of teams headaches. And that that depth, along with the speed that you mentioned, really gave the Sharks a lot of headaches. So I think they add a little bit of depth with with 
with Mikel and, and uh, you know, a veteran guy, a guy who's played for, for Pete DeBulber for back in, back in junior in Kitchener. Um, so he comes in with, uh, you know, a little bit of, uh, you know, a track record, a guy that can rely on um, to play uh, maybe the second power play unit, um, you know, a guy who could, uh, you know, absolutely adds a lot of speed to, to that forward group as well. So, um I think the expectation is I'm not sure if there's a point figure in, in mind, maybe 40, 45 points, kind of like what he's done maybe the last couple of years. But uh, he comes in, and I think he, he fits in He fits in pretty well. And a versatile guy, too. They can play him up and down the lineup and uh, feel, still feel comfortable with what, uh, what he brings to the table. We, we obviously have a lot of Coyotes listeners to this podcast. We're, we're based in Phoenix and very familiar with Mikhail Bodker. It sounds like you're saying, though, that they they would just like to slot him in and Ask him to be the guy that he's been. You know, there was, there was so much talk for so long around here about Mikhail Bodker needing to take that next step to become an elite goal scorer. Do you think maybe this is a better situation then for him because of the expectations and maybe because of the line mates he'll have? Right. I mean, it's not a situation where he's going to be asked to come in and, and lead the team in goal scoring or, or points. Um, you know, the Sharks have players like that. You can obviously Joe Thor and Joe Pavelski. Uh, Logan Couture, Patrick Marlowe. They have players who can help sort of shoulder that load. Uh, you add a Mikel Bacher, and it just uh, not only gives some speed, but also presents some, some matchup difficulties maybe for, for the other teams that they're going to be facing. Um, maybe also, you know, the Pacific Division, but also you look at the, some of the teams outside the division. Um, you know, uh, the Chicago's, the, the Nashville's, the, uh, you know, Penguins and, and the Lightning. Um, so he brings a lot to the table, but like you said, he's he's, he's not uh, in a situation where he's going to be asked to score 30 goals a year and, and sort of carry that team, you know, the first power play unit, things like that. So um, I think it's a pretty good situation for him. He left a little bit of money on the table to come to the Sharks and, and chase the Stanley Cup. So uh, I think it's a good situation all around for the Sharks and, and for Mikel. Joe Thornton was sensational last season. Can we expect him to keep up that kind of pace at 37 years old? It's a good question. I think it's it's a unique year for him. Obviously, he's going to be playing for uh, Team Canada at the World Cup, and I'm kind of interested to see um, how he uh, how he plays in that tournament um, and how that might affect his start uh, to this season. Um, he, I think, I think the coaching staff is going to be looking at it as, as like, okay, maybe we have to, to lighten the load a little bit on, on, on Joe to, to start the year, let him, um, you know, get a feel for, for uh, you know, the NHL again, and, and, um, and so I, I, I don't know if he can re- repeat the kind of the season he had, um, but I think it will come pretty close, and he'll still put up, you know, 70, 60, 70 points, still be the anchor on that number one power play unit still be a leader in that room alongside Joe Pavelski and Logan Couture and Patrick Marlowe and, and um, you know so if it's I don't know if he'll, he'll, he'll duplicate the year but I think he's going to come pretty close and like I said I'm going to be interested to see how he how he plays in the World Cup and what that does to him you know going into the regular season. Curtis in your opinion was losing the captain seat good for him in the long run? Yeah I think so I mean I think it's He's still a big voice in that room. He's still a big presence. Uh, but 
but in a situation where he doesn't have to talk to the media every day. I don't think he missed that one bit. I don't think he, you know, he's good in the media, but at the same time, it's, it's, it wasn't a, it got to the point where a situation where, okay, well, if he doesn't have to talk um, every day, then maybe he could, uh, you know, um, not uh, maybe just concentrate a little bit more on hockey and, and uh, what's going on on the team. So, um, you know, Joe Pavelski was able to sort of take over that role, and, and uh, those two have known each other for a long time, and, and I think it was a pretty seamless transition overall. So, um, yeah, taking away the captaincy, you know, in the long run, obviously, in the, in the short term, and definitely ruffled uh, a lot of feathers, and, 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 and nobody was, you know, Joe wasn't really happy about it. But, you know, he talked to Doug Wilson about it, talked to Hasselblatner about it. I think as, as uh, the season went on, especially after the Sharks got off to a pretty good start, um, you know, it seemed to, uh, I think, seemed, kind of seemed to come together a little bit as, uh, for Joe and, and for the Sharks as well. Talking to Curtis Pashelka of uh, Bay Area News Group. Curtis, you mentioned earlier this, this team is set up pretty well to, to basically be the, almost the entirely same roster from last year and make another run at this. But then when you go to next year, Joe Thornton is an unrestricted free agent, Patrick Marlowe, Brent Burns. I mean, that's... There's some RFAs in there as well, but those three big names, obviously Burns has to be the priority, but those other guys have huge ties to that franchise. How do you see that situation shaking out? Well, it wouldn't surprise me if Burns went into the regular season without a, a contract extension. Um, you know, three years ago when, you know, Joe Thornton and, and Patrick Marlowe were, were both going into the final year of their contract and they had managed to, um, you know, work some work three-year deals out with, with the team and, and I can kind of see a situation where maybe that uh, maybe that happens again, where something something happens during the season, maybe not necessarily right before the season. Although um, you know, Doug Wilson's a huge fan of, of Brent Burns, and, and uh, you know, Burns loves playing in San Jose, loves playing for the crowd. Uh, his family's all settled in there, so um, I would be really I would be really surprised if this drags out until you know June of next year. I would tend to think that they'll get a deal done, um, you know, before then. But it's going to be tricky. I mean, it's it's not going to be cheap uh, to hang on to a guy like Burns. And, and uh, you know, whether you look at maybe uh, the Dustin Bufflin contract or the Mark Giordano contract as sort of templates of what Burns might uh, might be commanding uh, from the Sharks. But uh, I, I would tend to think a deal would get done. And, you know, when you look at uh, guys like Joe Thornton and, and Patrick Marlowe. Um, I think Joe would definitely be open to staying in San Jose long term. You know, maybe another, uh, I don't know if it's a three year contract, but maybe another year or two for sure. Uh, Patrick Marlowe, a little bit of a question mark as to what he uh, what he would like to do. It all depends maybe on how he's used this year, what, is, what he feels his role is. Um, I think he still feels he's a, a, you know, a top end goal scorer. Uh, for the Sharks, he had 25 goals last year. So, uh, but same situation where you, know, you gotta—it's got to work out for him and it's got to work out for the team. So, I would say definitely, uh, you know, Burns will be around long term. I think I think Joe Thornton will be around for another year or two after this year. Patrick Marlowe may be a little bit of a question mark. Is Burns as much fun to cover on the inside as he looks from the outside? <laughs> He's a good guy, no doubt about it, and you know he handled it. As the Sharks went on to their, their playoff run, and more and more media started to come to uh, come to the games and come to the, the, the practices, he he 
handled it really well. I mean, um, answered every question, stuck around, and, and uh, he's definitely a big time personality. I mean, there's no doubt about it. He, he loves to, uh, <laughs> you know, he loves being around the guys, and, and, uh, and uh, a unique player, not only on the ice but off the ice. Yeah, where does he buy those suits, by the way? <laughs> he has a custom made. Oh no! <laughs> from a guy oh no! Goes around the league and, and uh, definitely unique taste. You, you don't know when you're when you're asked when you go to a post game uh, media scrum. You know we ask for Burns once in a while to come out and talk. Uh, he always comes out in a new uh, kind of a new suit, maybe you haven't seen before. That's uh, <laughs> literally never have seen before in any catalog on any website. Curtis, looking back up front, Tomas Hurdle, he's still a very young guy. I mean, he broke into the league at such a young age, and then there was kind of like. You see the highlight reel goals he was scoring as a rookie, and then maybe the expectations were raised a little bit when you see his age. But last year, pretty consistent for the full season, certainly helpful in the playoffs. Are they pretty confident that he's locked in up there now? Yeah, it's interesting to, to I mean, I think that line, he had, he had, had to, when, when Logan Couture uh, got hurt, he had had to sort of step into a, a second-line center role and then a third-line center role. And, and uh, did a pretty good job, was a pretty good two-way player, but the offensive production kind of slipped a little bit. But the moment he got back on that top line when Logan Couture got healthy again and they were able to top, put Thomas Hurdle up, up top again, uh, the numbers came right back. And, and uh, he's definitely, they see him as a center long-term, but um, I think uh, for now, anyway, it's tough to it's tough to argue against putting him back in that top line, at least for the start of the season, with Papelski and Thornton, and just kind of letting those guys, um, you know, kind of lead the way, you know, as far as the offensive production goes, and also, you know, at the other end of the ice uh, as well. Um, He's a guy they definitely missed, you know, once once he got hurt, uh, after he got hurt in game two of the the final, um, you know, the Sharks sort of had to rely on some other guys to sort of help pick up that slack. Um, they did an okay job, but you know they definitely missed Thomas Hurdle and what he brings. I thought he was probably the Sharks' best player in that those first two games in Pittsburgh. Um, so he, he he comes back, and I think he'll slot on that top line, um, you know, to start the season. And then if they want to make some adjustments as as the season goes on, to see who else maybe emerges, uh, and if they can put you know Hurdle in a center position, maybe on the third line, um, you know that uh, that would. Just present a little bit more problems, obviously, for, for other teams. So uh, he's, uh, yeah, like you said, he, he broke out big time in that, in that rookie season, kind of leveled off a little bit, obviously got hurt in his rookie year, that kind of, um, you know, that, that slowed his progression a little bit. He was able to uh, come back from that, but it took time. It took time. His confidence needs to come back as well, and he struggled with that. Um, you know, in his second year in the league, he, um, you know, he'd always be get a little bit too down on himself, but um, you know, I think Pete DeBoer came in and, and tried to, first thing he tried to do was sort of reinstill that, that confidence in him, and, and uh, you know, as the season went on, it, sort of, it, really, uh, it really paid off. Now, sp- speaking of offensive production, Mark Edward Vlasic put up 39 points last season. Is that an outlier, or this is something that the Sharks should expect to get from him going forward? Well, it's an interesting situation. I, I if you talk to Mark Edward, he, he definitely uh, isn't surprised by the amount of points he put up. It wasn't a, a career high for him. 
far as point production goes, they use him on that second power play unit, and he tends to keep things pretty simple. He's not, he knows he's not, uh, you know, Brent Burns back there where he's going to be able to, you know, skate the puck up and down the blue line and, um, you know, make plays that way. He usually gets the puck at the blue line at the point, kind of just tries to get the puck on that and, and let uh, the other guys in that second unit, like guys like Joel Ward and Hurdle and, you know, Stonskoy sort of, you know, take it from there if it doesn't uh, if it doesn't go in, and, and uh, he picks his spots. You know, as far as uh, joining the rush, and uh, plays a really smart game. He, he views himself as sort of an all-around kind of defenseman, a guy who can point put points up, but also take care of things on the defensive end as well. So um, I don't know if it's an outlier. I think it's I think it's uh, pretty safe to say that if he's used in the same type of situation, you know, he's good for 35 to 40 points. And 10 to 15 goals, that kind of thing. So, um, uh, but you know, biggest thing for him and for the for the Sharks is to be remain that sort of shutdown defenseman. You, know, you saw what he did in the playoffs. Tyler Toffoli in the first round against the Kings. Uh, a guy like uh, uh, James Neal or Philip Forsberg for Nashville in the second round, in the third round. Obviously, uh, Tarasenko had a lot of trouble uh, getting on the score sheet too, and a lot of the credit for that went to Vlasic and his partner Justin Braun so um, I think he, he's, uh, he's a guy who can put up to you know 35-40 points but at the same time his number one job is uh, being a shutdown defenseman. Alright Curtis we're going to let you get back to your vacation after this last question. We've taken up too much of your time already but Looking at this roster with, with you know, so much continuity from last season are there any major prospects that could actually come up and make an impact this season? Yeah I think, I think the Sharks are in a better position now uh, as far as having some, some talent um, coming up to the, the pipeline maybe now than they have been in the last four or five years. The number one guy to look out for is uh, Timo Meyer. Um, he uh, had a pretty good camp last year in, the, you know, in his draft year. He came in, um, made a real impact, and, and um, you know, caught, uh, caught everyone's eye with, uh, with not only his playmaking, but you know, 18 years old, he already sort of had an NHL type body. I mean, he was already a, uh, seemed like he was already kind of a grown man, <laughs> the way he was uh, the way he was built. Um, so he's a guy who can come in, and, and I would, if I had to bet, I'd say he'd make the team out of camp this year. Uh, there are a couple other guys, Nikolai Goldobin, their first round draft choice from a couple of years ago. Spent mass, most of last season in the American League. Um, he uh, he got better as, as the year went on. Still was a little bit inconsistent, especially on the defensive side. But uh, he's definitely got the uh, the skill set to uh, to be an NHL player. He just might take a little a little bit more time. Uh, defenseman Marco Mueller. He also spent most of the last season in the American League. He's uh, he might be ready to sort of take that next step. Although it's going to be a tough uh, tough job to win sort of that sixth defenseman or seventh defenseman uh, job in, in camp because they 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 signed David Schlemko, another former Coyote. Uh, <laughs> You don't want too many of those. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, they, they like they like Schlenko. They like uh, there's versatility. Uh, but uh, you know, a guy like Mueller could uh, could make an impact. Plus, you know, the Sharks have done a really good job of of, of signing uh, sort of European creatives. We saw Melko Carlson come over a couple of years ago. Last year it was Jonas Donskoy, and, and this year they they signed a, a forward named uh, Marcus Sorensen, who they have uh, really high expectations for. 
Uh, he might, uh, I don't know if he'll, he'll make the team out of camp, but he might need a little bit more time in, in the American League. But he's definitely a guy that they see as being a contributor at the NHL level, uh, you know, sooner rather than later. So, Sharks are in a pretty good position as far as their prospects go, but there's one guy to look out for uh, coming up to camp and uh, making the team out of camp. It would be Team Meyer. All right, Curtis, great insights as always. We really appreciate your time. Go back, enjoy the rest of that time up in Canada, and we will see you down the road when these Pacific Division battles start. You got it, guys, anytime. Thanks, thanks a lot, Curtis. Yeah. Okay, thanks to uh, Curtis Pashelka. You can find him on Twitter, at Curtis Pashelka, P-A-S-H-E-L-K-A. So we get through Winnipeg, Florida, and San Jose this week. We're, we're through 12 now, I believe, right? I believe that's yeah. right. Nine or 12. It's I don't math. Know. I don't know. It's a blur. Okay. Um, we have to do the Lipinski list because, well, we just have to. Craig, yeah, we have to. Craig brought it up last week and and the week, and the week before. before. Yes, I just I just and want the uh, the record to show that the Lipinski list is uh is never initiated by Lipinski himself. But Craig, what is the it topic? It should be <laughs> one one week. It will be initiated by me, and it will be fantastic. But what is it for this week? This week, it's which Olympic sports have caught you off guard, either because they're bizarre, cooler than you thought. Or just plain suck. Hmm. I have one of each. Okay, so do I. Can I start? Yes, you can absolutely start. Sprint canoeing. Is that an oxymoron? Seriously? Canoeing? I mean, I get the shells, you know, if we're talking crew, we're talking that sort of thing, regattas, etc. But canoeing and sprinting. Is that just a Rio event because you might be being chased in your boat? (laughs) Or is that... Or is it on land? Sprinting. Sprinting away. Sprinting through the the things floating in the water in Rio. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Obstacle canoeing around the so couches. That one just doesn't work for me at all. Badminton. I was in the gym today and I was watching a badminton match. And that's creepy. What, it, do, it, what do people think when you just stand first, in there? Well, you know, it's it's on the TV in the gym. What oh, else am okay. I going to watch? I, I thought you meant I, somebody I, in the gym was yeah. playing badminton. <laughs> no. Okay, it was the Olympics on oh, in front of me. Right. So let me state that. But Olympic badminton is crazy. First of all, the pace of the game and the skill of the game. These guys are nuts. Yeah. I had no idea how much skill was involved. In fact, I came away from it thinking, with where tennis has gone with hard courts and how it's all gone to a power game, there's probably more skill in badminton than there is in tennis right now. These guys were amazing to watch. So that one caught me by surprise in a cool way. And then, of course, there is synchronized whatever, synchronized swimming, synchronized diving, which is not a sport. It's it's not even performance art, really. It's, it's sort of half performance art, half freak show. Like, in the, in the same way that, like, Cirque du Soleil is performance art, right? Just, I, I don't know what I'm seeing in front of me, but part of me is disturbed by it. Just think if they were dressed like clowns. <laughs> that, would, that would top it off. But on that note, okay. one of the best stories from the Olympics this week, Brazil's synchronized diving team reportedly breaks up over Rio Olympics sex scandal. Obviously. So sh- should I just read a couple graphs from this to you guys? I, I don't know the story, and I don't think Jamie Okay, here it is. Oh, the know, Brazil's the synchronized diving team of Giovanna Pedroso and Ingrid Oliveira have decided to part ways, and the 2016 Olympics may be to blame. According to the son of Bastion of Journalism, by the way, in the UK, <laughs> Oliveira kicked Pedroso out of their room to have sex with Brazilian canoeist. Here we are with canoeing again. See how I tie this all in? Yeah. Pedro Goncalves. And I'm sure I'm butchering that name. Probably. My apologies, but I don't Just speak Portuguese. And, and, and they, I want to point this out, too. When you're assigned this story, somebody assigned, your editor says, you got to write this story. Your first reaction is, I roll. Really, i got to do 
a synchronized diving story on the team that finished dead last in the Olympics. Why? But then when you, you when you look at this, you got to own it. And God bless this writer. This writer owned it. <laughs> Sounds like a British because this is this is online gold, right? When you put a story out there, you know people are going to read it. So have fun with it. So the next line is now this wasn't some give me the room for an hour arrangement. <laughs> It's being reported that Ingrid hinted that her roommate should find herself another place to crash. Oh, did we mention that all this took place the night before their competition? Wow, that's some focus right there. So I have enough problems with synchronized diving, synchronized swimming, but then you get stuff like this. Just that's That's insane. Well, I was going to attempt to defend synchronized diving in the small area that it's better than synchronized swimming because you're at least jumping and there's there's something to it. Yeah. Synchronized swimming is on my list of I just I don't understand it. The smiles too, but by the way, when, when they're not, they're not just synchronizing their movements, they have that like someone just gave us a dual enema smile, right? When when they're doing it. What is up with that? Is that part of it? Is someone choreographing this whole thing? Somebody is, I'm sure, choreographing it. <laughs> or do you mean is somebody choreographing this show? Yeah, the double yeah, enema? Okay. Yeah, this show is all off the rails now. Um, we thought urinal cakes were bad. That's, well, that was off the air at least. No, right. well, it, it was. Yeah, and then you worked it in. Uh, so <laughs> we'll throw synchronized swimming out there as I don't fully understand it. Team handball, actually kind of entertaining to watch. Uh, it's not the handball that Jake Plummer plays where he just throws a ball at a wall and then somebody else. It's like racquetball but without rackets. This is like – it's kind of like soccer. It's kind of like basketball. It's kind of like lacrosse. I find myself entertained by team handball, and I don't want that used against me. <laughs> and then the last event that I haven't seen yet but I just learned it was an event earlier today is called simply trampoline. And <laughs> I don't really – It's not part of gymnastics. It's just called trampoline. Trampoline. So they just – are they doing – we don't know. We'll just assume it's people jumping on a trampoline, <laughs> like Jamie does before every show. No doubt they have judges in this, right? Yeah. Anything that's judged, I'm a little yeah, skeptical of in the I Olympics. Have a big yeah. problem with that. Because any, if you get really involved in it and you're really excited about it or you're, you're enthralled in the event, there's a good chance you just get enraged by the end of it. Oh, yeah. Jamie, do you have anything else? Uh, for I, got, us? I got one for all three. Okay. My, I'll start with the cool one. Okay. Ping pong, excuse me, table tennis. Yes, excuse ping me, pong. ping pong's not an Olympic sport, but table tennis is. The rapid pace that they play that is mind-boggling. How far do those guys stand behind the table, by the way? It, it feels it, like they're like 30 like they're feet. On top of it. I know the camera angles, oh. some weird camera angles, but yeah, okay. they're, they're so far it's away, insane. actually, when they go a side angle. I, I, I'm bad at just normal human ping pong. <laughs> right. right exactly. I don't even know how they do that. Bizarre race walking. Somehow, yes, that's a thing. Uh, that is, yeah, the race walking where they they they're supposed to be like a fifteen mile one or something today, something ridiculous. Race walking. How, like where, where's where's the walk. dividing line between a walk and a run? How do they? How do they? What are the rules? I'm not say sure on what this? the rules are. I, think oh, I thought you would them. have this called up. For uh, well, me. you should. I didn't. Know, well, I didn't know that this was going to happen now, but <laughs> I think there's something because almost waddle. I think it's the way that their their feet are placed where they have to always have. One foot in contact with the ground. So race water. Yeah, so you know, they're, they're, I think that's where that it makes was. sense. I think they always have to have one foot in contact with the ground somehow. So you see them; they're almost kind of like waddling. Why wouldn't you lunge? So uh, to me, this is pretty useless. Yes, you can walk someplace. You can run someplace. You can jog someplace. Why would you need to race walk? This is the most useless Olympic sport. <laughs> if you, try, it looks ridiculous too. It's it, useless. It, yeah. If you try too hard, you get in trouble. Yes, basically. right, exactly. Yeah. Hey, don't break into a run now. Don't, don't do that. Don't get too much exercise. Here, here's the other thing. You, you, you talk about the re- regulation. If one foot always has to be in contact with the ground, well, 
do they have sensors in the shoes, or is someone literally following them the entire 15 I'm miles sure to stay? Ah. Following them. That, but both feet were out there. That's You're why out. you have. If you want to worry about instant replay in baseball, talk about instant replay on like the shoe. I'm, I'm pretty sure that's the thing. I'm gonna look that up. I'm pretty sure they actually have like replay. That's you crazy. You can challenge that somebody. Well, challenging race walking. All right, I'm glad we're talking about this. Um, I, I will defend it in this one regard. Probably not going to have a whole lot of doping scandals in race walking. Okay, yeah, what's the benefit? Here it is, and I was right. I will read this verbatim. Race walking differs from running in that it requires the competitor to maintain contact with the ground at all times, and requires the leading leg to be straightened as the foot makes contact with the ground. It must remain straightened until the leg passes under the body. Read that last part They're again. They're not going to show this on TV, are they? Oh, it's probably going to be on TV somewhere. Yeah. There's an 18 zillion NBC channel, so okay. they better do something That's with them. True. The leading leg must be straightened as the foot makes contact with the ground and remain that way until the leg passes <laughs> under the body. Craig is demonstrating. I'm trying to but you demonstrate. But you look like you're walking the plank. Useless. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Useless. Yeah, very much so. Race walking. How does it make its way into the Olympics? How okay. did we it talk could be a about thing that minutes. somebody does in some town, weird town in Oregon, in the rural oh. areas. Yeah, I was going to go to New Hampshire. Yeah. I offended fine, a smaller you know. state than you did, so <laughs> good luck with that. Yeah, unless this one's in our region. Yeah. But, but seriously, how does it make its way into the Olympics? Do you have anything else for us, Jamie? Well, I, I just I'm looking at this article that says Olympic race walking is not a joke. I disagree. No, it is a joke, and we gave them more airtime than they're going to get anywhere else. So yeah. they should be thanking us. And my, your final entrant? Yeah, my last one was with strain or just plain stink dressage. Stop it. Stop it. What is it? So when you said it the first time, I thought you said massage, which would be a very odd Olympic That would be a event. weird Olympic sport. What's it called? Say that for synchronized divers. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So dressage. Dressage. For horses. Yes. That, those horribly unnatural movements that they yeah. make horses do. Because they I don't get it. show they can control an animal and, and they can do whatever they want. Kind of like the circus. Entertaining. Craig hates circuses. That's, I do hate circuses. That's been established. Circuses have clowns, too, which is another reason to hate them. It's, I think One it's of many. actually the root of the reason why you hate circuses. It may be. All right. Why don't you tell us uh, who we have coming up next week, as long as they didn't listen to the last 10 minutes of this show. <laughs> you think they'd back out? Uh, well, I would. Very excited about guests next week. Uh, one of uh, my favorites, one, one of the best beat writers in the business next week, we talked to uh, Mike Rousseau from the Minneapolis Star Tribune about the wild. Of course, Rousseau is... He's as good as they get. He really is. He's, yeah. he's a star. on Twitter and has a very strong following because he is yeah, very there's active. There's nothing about the Wild he does not know. No. Yep. Uh, was down in Florida before, you know, so he, he's, he's been around. Uh, but also just a fantastic guy. I will really enjoy. We'll get some great insights from him. We'll also talk with Anser Khan from the Detroit Free Press about the Red Wings, Jamie's favorite team. <laughs> and then we'll be slumming it a little bit to talk about the Columbus Blue Jackets. We're going to make Luke block shots the entire segment. Yes. Just have somebody come in here and throw something at me. Um, what is that called in business when you have to, you, like, if you have something mean to say to one of your employees, you have to sandwich it between two compliments? That's basically what this is. We're going to talk about the wild, and then we're going to talk about Columbus, and then we're going to talk about Detroit. There's a reason we don't have any guests for Columbus on, because... I think for Jamie, this would be more like an open-faced sandwich since we're in, uh, using the Red Wings here. So yeah, really not too. He, he doesn't really like any yeah. of these teams. Jamie doesn't really like anybody. I mean, so, let's just call it. Yeah, I, I hate everything. Minnesota will be the bread for you, and then the <laughs> yes. rest is sort Jamie? of like I don't know. What's your least favorite sandwich item? I don't know, bologna. Bologna. So this. Yeah. Here we go. 
Okay. Jamie did open last week's show by saying we hate your team, whoever it is, which is <laughs> pretty good open. It's probably true. So when we like have a produced open where we where we have the clip of Craig talking about going to Harvard, yours is going to be we hate your team no matter who it is. Yeah, we hate your team. Yes, even yours. Yes. Specifically you out there listening. Mm-hmm. Um, growing our fan base. All right. So speaking of growing our fan base, Jamie, you want to tell people how they can uh, listen to the show even though they've already listened for three hours today? Yeah, see, what happened here today was – Craig did not get money slid to him under the door like he normally would. Yes. And if Craig, if you want Craig to get money slid under the door, you should probably <laughs> listen to our show a little bit more. Also read his stories. Adopt def- Craig. Definitely. <laughs> definitely listen to our show more. And you can do that easily by subscribing to us on iTunes. Just search Natural Hat Trick. You can also listen to us on Today's Slapshot, Google Play, wherever it's easier for you. Whatever's most com- – and that's what I want here. I might hate your team. Join right. our live audience. Oh, wait, we don't have one. No, well, you, you could. Well, we, we have, like, have some windows here. We do have windows. We have a lot of windows hear. in the studio that you could – but if you just kind of stand on the glass, it would be a little weird. We but, put you know, speakers out there. Not going to so judge they can hear you. What we're saying. It would be like Craig watching yeah, random people play badminton at the gym. Yeah. <laughs> he's staring through the glass as he's running <laughs> on his treadmill or race walking on his treadmill. <laughs> or just standing there. <laughs> Hands pressed up against the glass. Uh, <laughs> You're really cool. <laughs> Twitter. That looks harder than tennis. Um, Twitter. Anything on Twitter? All right. Today's oh, yeah, yeah. Follow, what, What's our there's, handle? There's nothing on the Twitter. Natty Hattie. What's the Natty Hattie. You made it. At the Natty Hattie. Well, some, Follow us. Some idiot out there has the natural hat trick tag, and it's so even you. Is this he or she or whatever bot it is even using it? No, it's. You can search it. It's like a picture of somebody in their underwear. And oh it's, it's a soccer thing. Are you sure I want to search it? You don't need to search it. I'm just I, saying. I get enough of those sent to me without soliciting them. <laughs> it's got like four followers. So somebody took the name in like 2013, stole it from us. So, yes, we are at the Natty Hattie. We have the most bro-y, hockey-sounding uh, Twitter handle possible. But mm-hmm. that's the way it is. It was either that or... Troubled by whatever. That's oh, so troubled by Timber Jones. Yes, or urinal <laughs> kicks. Yeah, up, yeah, update. Yeah, we're gonna find out the name of that Mets Double A team by October. So probably by the end of this episode. All right, this was episode forty-six. It went for forty-six hours. If you felt like it did, well, thanks for sticking with us. For uh, Jamie Eisner and Craig Morgan, I'm Luke Lipinski. Thanks for listening to the Natural Hat Trick Podcast, Pat Jablonski edition. <laughs>